you have to be sick to yeah. like I want that. Like yeah, right. put that in my car. Right. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Welcome to the episode. Before we begin, remember you can ask us a question and we will answer it on the podcast at the end of the episode. You can ask us by emailing us at basicallyrelatedpodcast at gmail.com. Also, if you enjoy this podcast, please like, share, subscribe, leave us a review, do all the things. Today we are discussing the readings for the 30th Sunday of Ordinary Time, Year A. The book of Exodus tells us to remember our divine blessings. St. Paul says that we should turn from idols and remember the final judgment, and Christ gives us the commandments that fulfill the whole law, but first, the sacred and profane. So this week in our cycle, our, our weekly kind of readings and feast days, there's not too much happening. You know, no, yeah. At the end of the week, we have uh, Saints Jude, Simon and Jude. Yep. But overall... Pretty quiet week. Yeah, just before we started rolling, uh, I just said it's it's a very ordinary time. It's, yes, uh, the most ordinary of times, and so uh, that's not a bad thing. You know, sometimes it's nice yeah. to just um, settle in the ordinariness, especially as um, uh, a priest who you know says daily mass and, and preaches um, regularly. Sometimes it's nice to just celebrate mass and focus on the readings without um, a feast day, right, or a memorial. Um, sure. Sometimes when there's a memorial, I, uh, I'm torn between talking about the saint or the, um, you know, the special reading associated with the saint. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it's a ferial day, meaning it's, you know, there's not a memorial attached to it or a feast day attached to the day, uh, we can just enjoy mass at its, you know, in its, its simplest form. That's right. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, nothing wrong with a little ordinary time. <laughs> not torn, yeah, you're right. Not torn between the saint and the the gospel. I'm sure when yeah. you're thinking of a homily, you're not sh- sure what to say because sometimes the saint can be very interesting. Right, and then like trying the to make a be... hackneyed uh, connection between the two. Right, uh, which some lesser preachers, I've fallen into that. Try to make a thread to through them, and I'm like, ah, that, that didn't really work. Yeah. You know, so. yeah. Sometimes providence li- lines them up. Sometimes. Sometimes the providence is uh, uh, not perceptible to yes. human eyes. <laughs> right. It's still there. You just yeah, exactly. can't, can't see it. <laughs> yeah, we do have uh, All Saints Day, All Souls, Souls Day coming up, but we'll we'll talk about that on a separate podcast. But yeah. that also means that we have Halloween coming up. Yes, the which scariest can, time of the year. Which we can, yeah, we can talk about that <laughs> also next week. But... You know, somebody was was telling Sarah that their kids, this is the time of year. I think it was actually maybe a reel or something she saw online. But she said it's the time of year that their kid cries when they leave the house. You know, when they when they go through a drive through the neighborhood. Yeah. They have to, like, close, you know, the kid has to, like, close their eyes as they're driving through the neighborhood because there's all these weird decorations up. And some of them are very weird. Yeah, and, you know, what's your opinion on that is, like, I remember I was driving downtown um, in the suburbs of Charlotte, um, and there was these beautiful houses, and they're just decorated with the most, like, gaudy things. Oh, yeah. It's like these huge, like, 12-foot, like, blow-up balloons of a skeleton, and, like, next to, like, these pink and, or, or these purple and orange lights, and I'm like, that just looks so trashy. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what they're thinking. And it's not yeah. just Halloween, but they do this with Thanksgiving and Christmas and Easter. 
it's like you just ruined the entire aesthetic of your house for like a whole month. Yeah. So, I, well, I, I wasn't thinking of that particularly. Oh, okay. I was well, thinking that... <laughs> the, the, the other way. But that does happen too. You have uh, these giant blow-up things. Um, I, I tried to convince Sarah to get one for the porch. <laughs> it was like a giant pumpkin or something. Yeah, it was. It was yeah, something totally benign. Uh, I did see someone in our neighborhood though that had. It was like a, like a twelve or fifteen foot skeleton. It was huge. Yeah, it doesn't. I'm just like, what? What huge. is the point of that? So like, I, I was thinking the other way because sometimes we go for morning walks and and we'll go through the city, like the city neighborhoods, and some of them are just like straight up. Demonic. Demonic. Yeah, yeah. It, like, like very unsettling. And I am – you can't convince me otherwise. Maybe we'll do a podcast on this point. You can't convince me otherwise, though. People who really, really get into that stuff, they bother me. Yeah. Like, I, I – I, I, it's – maybe it's reading too much Freud or something. No. But I, I, think, I think there's something going on. Yeah. What is it about you that you would want to see this regularly and, yeah. and like, actually, like, spend money on? And then hang it up somewhere and display it. Yeah, Some, something's wrong. I, yeah, and not, and not just not just. Uh, Maybe I'm just no, because I feel the same way. Maybe I'm just like a a tender homeschool boy. <laughs> but I'm not, I, yeah, I'm not even talking about just like oh, they have a skeleton out, or this one person no, no, we saw, they have like, like have like a cu- they have like a cute like cat skeleton. It's, no, 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 no. They're scary. I mean, like yeah, I'm talking about the really like gory stuff. Yes, too. I it's remember. Just, um, me and um, Father Gomez, a mutual yeah. friend of ours, uh, we went uh, shopping at Lowe's. Uh, for some stuff at our rectory, and uh, they had um, it was like yeah, it was a fifteen foot like demonic skeleton with like blood dripping from its jaw, and like the eyes were like lit up, and I'm like, what? Like, what? You have to be sick. To, yeah. Like, I want that. Like, yeah, right. Put that in my car. <laughs> right. You know, <laughs> I don't get it. It's yeah. the same attraction with I guess horror movies too. Um, that's you know I I love movies. Uh, I, I like a lot of genres of movies. Uh, but horror is just something that I, I really struggle to. I can't stomach yeah. it. Um, yeah. And, you know, speaking about the season, we're coming up to Halloween. Um, all the ads on my YouTube videos are like these, like, horror movie trailers. And I just, I get scared now when I open yeah. my computer. I, I'm scared. So, yeah. You know, it, maybe it's a, just an outward expression of the Freudian death instinct. You know, yeah, <laughs> something going on there. Well, we'll 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 talk about that <laughs> some other time. Maybe. Yeah, we should. Yeah, um, and, and, and I mean, I'll say this too: there is a place for horror, um, in Christendom. I think, like you sure. know, you think about like um the gargoyles on the edges of the cathedral, um, you know, the horror of the cross and death. Like you know, we don't shy away from that necessarily, but there is a balance between. Like, how much horror should we show, or is it just like gratuitous now, and we're just doing right. horror for horror's sake? But we right. should we should talk about that a separate episode, definitely. Yeah, and even you know, you, you think of pictures of the Last Judgment, and those are very scary. Oh yeah, sometimes. Right. But the idea there, though, is the reality of hell, yeah. and it's not necessarily a celebration of horror, right? But a reality of horror. Yeah, you know, it's it's different to decorate your house with demons, and then another yeah. thing to acknowledge acknowledge them and be fearful of them it's well that's interesting i mean maybe we you know there is a place to buying that 15 foot demonic gory skeleton and then like having a cross over it and like you know sending it back to hell that would be interesting oh Hmm. (laughs) i already thought about that yeah you could you could like a whole like you know yeah you know what i think 
I think that's what I'll do next year. I'm going to have a last judgment scene. Yeah, and buy all the gory stuff yeah. and then, like, you know, submit it under the cross, right? right? Like, yeah. on one side, people will be being shoveled into the mouth of a demon, yeah. and on the other, people will be, I think, Escorted what, hu- yeah, yeah, hugging Abraham. Yes. You know, <laughs> that'll be the, <laughs> the dichotomy. And people are passing by. Like, wow, that is <laughs> intense. Like, th- think Happy about Halloween. This. <laughs> think about this. Yeah. While you're sipping on your uh, pumpkin spice latte. Right. That's, that's a, quite the image. <laughs> Halloween and the Last Judgment, yeah. <laughs> which we can, which we might talk about the Last Judgment in this podcast. Uh, so for the profane, uh, I guess anything, I guess that is sort of you know Halloween, sort of a, the, a well, it's somewhat of a normal, ordinary event, but in some ways it's not. I picked up the, yeah. the fifth Dune book finally. Oh really? Took a little break. Now there's six of them, right? Yeah, yeah. There's six so. in like the kind of original, okay, uh, trilogy. Frank Herbert, but. Just a little word on Frank Herbert. So Herbert and Abair are spelled the same way. Oh, the really? last name, I'm pretty sure. Because I knew, and is that just like a like a French pronunciation or something? Like I that? think so. But I knew a guy in seminary, and it took me maybe two or three semesters to figure this out. But <laughs> they called him Abair. And you're like, is that is that a nickname? Well, that's what I was like. Oh, I guess it must be a, a nickname because when you look at it, it said Herbert. Yeah, but it was a bear, and <laughs> not the bear, a bear. <laughs> right. And now I'm wondering, I'm like, well, has anybody? Am I? Is it? Is it Frank a bear or is it Frank Herbert? No. <laughs> and the only way to figure that out is to talk to the person. But yeah, right. yeah I'm, I'm reading the fifth, the uh, the fifth book. And we'll uh, yeah, I'm really Emily surprised White. at how how you're kind of plowing through this series. I mean, you started. The first Dune book, well, you started what, when the first movie came out? Is that yeah. right? Right after yeah. or before? Did a little, you see the, after. After. So you saw, yeah. saw the movie first, then yeah. you started um, to get through five of them. That's good. Um, well, you know, it's it's really just the principle of chipping away at something. So well, you you're just right. read a handful of pages a night. And if, you're, and if then, your interest boom. is peaked, you're going to want to go back to it. Yeah. I, um, I started the first Dune book, and I just lost a little bit of interest. I should probably try again. Um, I didn't find the writing as like extremely refined and so um i just gave up but i, I should probably i know they're i mean i think they're loved uh deeply rightly so because there's a lot of lore and depth in the storytelling yeah. and i loved the movie yeah um so we'll see i just you know added to my list of books to read which is two pages long but yeah anyway. I, what, what i've noticed from his writing style is it, it the beginnings can be kind of slow mm-hmm but then they really start to pick up because okay. one, there's always multiple storylines going on and then they start slowly coming together. Right. And then it starts, you know, the last, you know, 200 pages or mm. something uh, or, you know, 100 depending upon the book, it really picks up. Yeah. Like, okay. Because right. all the lines start coming together and the, the plotting and the planning and everything. So, yeah. So, I, yeah. Um, no, if you can, if you can kind of slug through the beginning, you'll be fine. And, you know, it's Lord of the Rings also is kind of known for a slow beginning as well but i stuck with that mainly because i i just loved the movies i remember i i watched the movies before i actually read the books um yeah but something about starting the fellowship of the ring i was able to stick with it i think it might have just been the style like tolkien's writing style was very beautiful uh and i i had heard a lot of commentaries on the story of lord of the rings and so I knew what, like, kind of what to look for, and I was there was already an invested interest in starting the trilogy, 
Um, so I think that's why I stuck with it. Um, Dune, I'm a little bit. It's a little bit more foreign to me, and so I think I have to just try a little harder to to get yeah. interest. So. Yeah, I'll I'll write a commentary on Dune. Yeah, you should. You. you should. Okay, so let's shall we? Shall we jump in? Yes. Yes. Okay, so the thirtieth Sunday in ordinary time. It's almost the end of the year, but here we are. Uh, so our first reading is from Exodus, which is kind of. Uh, a little bit of a shakeup. We've been reading a lot from the prophets, particularly Isaiah. Isaiah, yep. So now we're reading from the 22nd chapter of Exodus, and mm-hmm. this is shortly after Moses receives the Ten Commandments. So we're in sort mm-hmm. of the commandment portion of Exodus. Gotcha. Uh, so this particular section is the Book of the Covenant. So the the Book of the Covenant is a collection of divine commands and ethical and moral obligations of the people. So it's expanding upon what everyone knows, the, the the 10. So these are getting into how we're supposed to treat neighbors and and uh, and other people that we come in contact with. So right. you know, our the first half of the first reading talks about not oppressing the alien for you yourselves were once aliens in the land of Egypt not doing wrong to orphans and widows. Uh, there's also this commentary on how do you lend money to the poor and how do you kind of take people's possessions as, as pledges and giving back to them. So this mm-hmm. is conduct towards your neighbor. Yeah. And they said not so much about keeping holy the Sabbath, right. but ethical conduct towards the stranger and the disadvantaged yep. in our society. And I think an important note on this is that these commands come from God. These are divine commands. So they're not simply humanitarian concern, but mm-hmm. they're divine decrees. Right. Yeah. That are coming straight from God. This is these are this is God's will. Mm-hmm. And as it says kind of multiple times here, that if you oppress these people, if you do them wrong, they will cry out to me, and I will hear their cry. Mm-hmm. So this deep sense of justice, and it's not just that you've wronged someone on a natural level, but you've actually wronged someone on a supernatural level. Right, right. Yeah, I think that um, that's that's really the core, I think, theme of the first reading and the gospel, that, like you said, this is not a humanitarian effort to just eradicate poverty and then everyone will be happy. This is actually something that's divine. And love of your neighbor is actually flows out of a love from God. And that's we're going to see that yeah. um, more explicitly in the gospel. Uh, but uh, that's, that's exactly right. And I think anybody who would try to manipulate the gospel message in just being humanitarian, just being nice people to others, uh, is... Missing the whole point, really. Yeah. Um, there is really no, uh, there's no fulfillment of caring. For, uh, there's no fulfillment in, in caring for your neighbor um, apart from God. Um, it, it becomes a uh, kind of a useless effort almost because, as our Lord says in another place, uh, the poor will always be with you, right? This is not something right. that you can eradicate and then just, you know, say, yay, we, you know, conquered the world, right? This is. Uh, it, to see it as a divine uh, order to care for the poor is also to see 
the causes for poverty as a uh, something that's supernatural as well, namely sin, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you're caring for the poor properly, you're actually not only loving God, but also participating in the work of salvation as well. Uh, so that yeah, the, that's a good point. That that divine uh, source uh, for this commandment is absolutely essential, and without it, it just Christianity becomes just a another humanitarian effort. Right. So. It kind of, yeah, it kind of devolves into a, a secular humanism. Yeah. You know, I, I think I think we said this before, but if you take Christianity, if you cr- take Christ out of Christianity, then it, it is just kind of a secular humanism, yeah. sec- or like it's vice versa. Uh, Secular humanism is Christianity without Christ. Yeah, you know, as a way. And and the point of caring for the poor and feeding the hungry, um, you know, sheltering the homeless is not just to provide material things for them and then leave them as they are. The point is actually to get them closer to God as well. Sure. You know, and um, the classic example in the 20th century is Mother Teresa. Uh, you know, she didn't just give food to the poor um, and then left them alone. Um, there was a gospel behind what she did. And I think that's important to remember is that, we're, you know, as Christians, evangelizing means bringing people closer to Christ. Now, sometimes that is going to entail material um, attention, but that's a vehicle to get them closer to Christ. Uh, and... You know, I I believe I mentioned this on the pod before. Maybe it was in I know I mentioned this in homilies, but the point of Christianity is not to be nice to your neighbor. It's not good manners. Um, it's not being kind, um, but it's to worship properly. That's the goal of Christianity: is to worship properly, and we do that through Christ, mm-hmm. uh, through His sa- sacrifice on the cross. Uh, but that's also the goal of one, whatever we're doing um, to our neighbors, and so to. Comfort the the oppressed and the alien um, is part of bringing them into that one body of Christ, so that we can all worship together properly. And you can't, you know, uh, because of people's material needs, you know, it's it's very hard to worship properly when you're starving and or, or you're you know diseased, right? Um, so I think, like as Mother Teresa, you know, has showed us with her life, it began at the material. And then once you're taken care of materially, then you can begin to intellectually begin to perceive like there's something above me and then come to a knowledge of God. Um, sure. There's certain material needs that need to be met before somebody can think about, oh, like I said, opening themselves up to higher things. You yeah. Know, if, you're, if you're starving too much, <laughs> right. you know, you're not just fasting or something, but you're actually starving. It's very hard to wrap your mind around other things. Yeah. So, yeah. To, I think Mother Teresa is a good example of showing human dignity first, that you're you're worthy to be taken care of. Yeah. And you're also worthy to receive the gospel. Right, exactly. You. But yeah. perhaps cleaning you, bathing you, feeding you needs to be done first. Right, yep. Uh, and, and, you know, in some, some cases, particularly, I think, in what she was trying to do, yes. But something that's unique, we've already mentioned that the part of the uniqueness of the commands from Exodus is that they're divine commands, but that's when I say that I mean they're unique when you consider kind of ancient Near East legal codes. I remember learning about this in my uh, Torah class. Is that there are similar codes to the Ten Commandments and ordinances that are found 
in Exodus in other ancient Near East literature. Uh, there's you know non-biblical ethical codes and laws. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know every every culture has them. That's not surprising. Yeah. But something that was unique about the Ten Commandments is God's involvement in delivering the mm-hmm. commands. So you know you have uh, other cultures that sort of have God at the beginning or end, and God sort of sanctions perhaps what humans are proposing as justice. Mm-hmm. What we clearly see here is that these concerns for the poor, the stranger, the the disadvantaged, is God's command. It's not just that he sort of sanctions it and mm-hmm. says, whatever you establish, I'll bless. But actually, again, the ultimate foundation for why we do these things is God. Yeah, uh, I think sometimes it's a common atheist critique that we should do good because it's the right thing. You know, it's like Christians need God to justify doing oh, right, the right. Sure. And Christians need God because God says so. God says to take care of the poor, therefore you do it. Whereas I take care of the poor because it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Like, like I don't need I don't need God to justify right. my actions. Yeah. Right. And I I don't think Christians should, you know, immediately appeal to God, right? It's like, well, God said so, so therefore. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, that's a, I think that's a false idea of what Christians do when they take care of the poor. It's not, well, I, you know, God told me, so I will. I think it's yeah. that the ultimate foundation is God, that humans possess, as we've talked about with Mother Teresa, humans possess an innate dignity given to them by God, and we're honoring that dignity. Yeah, right. So it kind of indirectly, because God says so, but that's not my immediate opinion. No, right. I think that the, pro- yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, to recognize that God is the ultimate source and inspiration for everything we do in life, and that knowledge and seeing the world differently in that light allows us to act in love, right? Uh, yeah, I, I love this phrase uh, at the beginning where our Lord, when he's com- giving this command to um, care for the oppressed and the alien, he says, you shall not molest or oppress an alien. His justification is, for you were once aliens yourselves in the land of Egypt, there's a sense of remembrance of our own inadequacy, our own brokenness, and how we were brought out of that by God. And if we recognize, if we recognize our own fallen state and our own broken state, and how we were delivered from our, uh, you know, oppressive uh, oppression, then that can motivate us to then care for others. And I often use um, this example, not not specifically this. Um, uh, passage from the Old Testament, but, you know, when people ask, ask me, how do I get over being judgmental or being uncharitable? Uh, I say, look at yourself, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Look inward and see how broken you are, how sinful you are, how you fall short of, you know, the standard God has set for us. And yet God reaches down to save you anyway. And if you can focus on your own brokenness and how inadequate you are, then perhaps you can see how other people in their brokenness are worthy of love and, and charity as well. Uh, it's a remembering of yourself first, um, of your own fallen state. Because I think if you, if you are blind to who you are, you're blind to your broken identity, um, it's going to be a lot harder to care for others. Because it's like, well, I'm here. Why can't they get up to my level, right? <laughs> um, that pride kind of blinds us into caring for uh, others. 
I think out of our own brokenness, um, in our weakness, that's where we can actually show God's strength uh, and, and then thus care for the poor. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I was thinking about that line as well, and I wanted to bring it up. I'm glad that you did. That, that first line from our first reading about remembering that you were once slaves yourself in, in Egypt, or yeah. at least you were, you were once aliens in yeah. the land of Egypt. And part in this, and how it connects to the idea of remembering what God has done for you. Mm-hmm. I mean, we will see that fulfilled. A lot of what you said fulfilled in the in the gospel. But for now, it it is this showing gratitude that you should do unto others as you have them do to you. Yeah. Right. Or uh, you remember how once people treated you, and and all throughout this first reading, you have that right. It's like if you were to lend someone your cloak as a pledge, mm-hmm. and that's all you had, at the end of the night, you'd want it back. Yeah. Or do you remember what, when you were in Egypt and you were an alien in Egypt? Yeah. You didn't want people to oppress you, mm-hmm. so don't oppress others. Yeah. So it kind of, you're right, this remembrance of your past, remembrance of what God has done for you in, in gratitude or out of gratitude, you know, because that's going to be... I don't mean ingratitude, but in. Yeah. <laughs> out of gratitude. Out of gratitude. Ex gratitude, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the Latin. <laughs> right. Um, out of gratitude, you treat your neighbor, or you treat the alien how you'd want them. Yes, exactly. How you'd want yourself to be treated. No, that's, and, and, you know, Egypt has always stood symbolically for, you know, the land of sin, right? Mm-hmm. The broken world. Uh, and so when our Lord says, you were once aliens yourselves in the land of Egypt, we can understand that to mean. For all of us, this is a universal precept. This is not just, um, uh, you know, something from Exodus that's, um, you know, beholden to that time and place. We can understand aliens in the land of Egypt as being being caught in the land of sin. And we are delivered from that by God's grace. Uh, and it's all about remembrance. I mean, you know, I think that's a, a, a theme that we've talked about um I don't want to say ad nauseum because it's a rich theme that can never be exhausted. <laughs> but you know, remembrance is so important to our own salvation. And, you know, I was just ta- uh, teaching uh, my class about this this past week about um, sin and how sin can be understood as a kind of forgetfulness. Uh, when we forget who we are, we are then, we, we then become selfish. And, and gratitude is a sense of remembrance, right? You remember the gifts that have been bestowed upon you. And then that enables you to act in the future. Um, it's when we forget, we will be less charitable and be less than what we're called to be. So. Right. Well, that's a remembrance and forgetfulness is a huge theme throughout the Old Testament. And it's mm-hmm. part of the prophetic vocation is to call people back to the covenant, right? So remember yeah. what God has done for you. And especially in this time of Exodus, God's really pressing upon the Israelites, remember the land of Egypt. Yeah. Remember how you were treated there. And don't don't return there. Yeah. You know, because yeah. if you get once you get to the promised land, you you might grow comfortable, mm-hmm. and you might forget how bad it was. And I mean, even on the journey, they're saying, oh, "Let's go back." Right. And it's like, yeah. no, no, no. You have to. You know, you're forgetting why I let why I I pulled you from that that place. Yeah. Why I, you're forgetting why I called you out of Egypt, but also, y- you know, you're forgetting where I'm trying to take you. But mm-hmm. yeah, no, remembrance and forgetfulness are kind of two things that go back and forth. Yeah. I, I once heard it said that um, there was a Jewish rabbi who, I don't know, th- I heard this in a homily, so 
who knows? You know, the fact checking is very thin on yeah. my part. But could could um, it, could belong to apocryphal? You know, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> a legend. <laughs> um, it was in seminary, but uh, there was a Jew- Jewish rabbi who essentially summed up the Old Testament as uh, remembrance. He said, if there's one word to encapsulate the Old Testament, it's remembrance. Um, so, I think that's um, I think that's fair. I hope so. At least, yeah. I, I think at least it is too. In, in I don't part. know who said it, but yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I haven't ever done a word study, kind of like to see where how often it pops up or something oh, like that. Sure. But I would, yeah. I, I would imagine it's a lot. Oh yeah, yeah. the idea I said again that the, the kind of cardinal sin of the Old Testament many times is mm-hmm. a forgetfulness, yeah, and not remembering. Uh, anything else? No. Let's move on to the psalm. Okay. So the psalm we have. I love you, Lord, my strength. That's the responsorial. But it's yeah. a Psalm 18. Um, and I think this is uh, the connection here that I see to the first reading um, is that it's it's the Lord who gives you the strength to um, enact or, or to um, carry out his commands. Um, mm-hmm. You know, again, uh, taking care of your neighbor. Uh, our Lord says that you were once yourselves alien in the, aliens in the land of Egypt. The implication here is that by his strength, we were delivered. And thus, by his strength, we are to carry out his commands. Uh, and the more that we're clinging to God, uh, the more that we're loving him above all, above all things, he becomes our strength to fulfill his commands. Um, yeah, I, again, I see the the theme of like a, a hymn of gratitude, right? That David, right. The, psalm, or the psalmist is offering to God thanks for delivering him from his enemies. Mm-hmm. So the Lord has, as you were saying, delivered the Israelites from Egypt, their, their enemies. Mm-hmm. And as he's done that, it was God who did that. Then you offer praise to God, and then you can, often, you can also offer praise to God by loving your neighbor. That, that we're, we'll get to. But by also not treating your neighbors as they treated you in Egypt. Mm-hmm. But it's but it's ultimately God who both delivered you and gives you the strength. Right. I like that. Yep. It's a kind of a simple psalm. Yeah, it is. But, um, but it's expressing something that's like foundational. Um, yeah. <laughs> to the Christian life is the Lord is your strength, right? Right. That's where you get your energy from. Your your whole motive to live is that's that's right. God. If you if you struggle to love your neighbor, it's you know perhaps you're relying too much on yourself. Yeah. That, yeah it's yeah, the Lord exactly. who gives you strength. Exactly. Great thought. Um, that's about all I had for that. Maybe. Yeah, no, it's simple yeah, but s- profound. <laughs> simple, yeah, a sacred simplicity, right? Just, yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, love the Lord your strength and re- rely on him. Yep. <laughs> so, simple enough. So, we're still reading through First Thessalonians, yeah. and this is a very, I think I mentioned this last time, but it's a very apt reading for the end of the year because it's... Because of its eschatological kind of character, its right, apocalyptic I no- I character, that. and the first last week we didn't quite see it, but this week you, it, it starts to come through, and we get another kind of quick little summary of faith at the at the end of the first reading, just as Paul and Philippians had his kind of Christ narrative. Here you have like a summary of the mysteries of of Christ. It says at the the end here. Um, that they have turned from idols to serve the living and true God 
and await his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the coming wrath. Hmm. So you have this awaiting the second coming, the mystery of Christ. Then you have the notion of Christ's resurrection. He was raised from the dead. Mm -hmm. And then you have this who delivers us from the coming wrath. So this is an early epistle by Paul. And, you know, it's, it's some speculate that he perhaps thought that the coming wrath could be the second coming, that Christ was going to, was returning quickly, you know, or right. gonna, the second coming was any minute. But then there's also some commentary that the coming wrath was the Thessalonians suffering at the hands of the kind of imperial cult, court, okay. or okay. sorry, the imperial cult, right? because they were in such a pagan area. This is what he was alluding to by turning from idols. Mm -hmm. But again, this is a, a little summary of the mysteries uh, that we have very early on in our faith that Christ was raised from the dead, there will be a second coming, and then at that second coming, there will be a judgment. Right. And that gives it its... Eschatological nature. Eschatological yeah. flavor. Right. But I, I want to hit on a few things. Um, this idea of, of turning from idols and serving the living and true God. Um, I think that's... I think it was apt for that time, and I feel like it's apt for our time. <laughs> you know, we... yeah. Oh, this is a this is a that's a universal problem. Right? Yeah, is you can apply this to every, you know, every culture throughout, uh, you know, throughout all of history, turning from I idols and worshiping the true God. Right. I think that would probably be another theme, along with rem remembrance in the Old Testament, is the constant struggle of idolatry. Oh yeah, right, and that, and that's kind of represented as like a kind of um adultery, right? Or, um, right. Uh, yeah, and infidelity to God, um, breaking the covenant, returning to your old lovers, right? As the Old Testament yes. would kind of, um, you know, allude to. Yeah, so uh, absolutely. It, but Paul has a kind of a ju ju juxtaposition here between idols and then the living and true God. The living and true God is a a typical phrase of the Old Testament to describe both the Lord, but also against idols, right? Living and true. Mm. So that's to say that idols are dead and false. Right. Um, so pagans kind of worship lifeless man-made idols. And you see that again all throughout the the, uh, the prophets. And it's only God who's, who's actually alive. Right. Um, and this is the, the foundation for this is, is in Deuteronomy where they talk about kind of, you, you start to see the, solidifying of a monotheistic faith. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I was thinking a little bit about the, the whole notion of, of living and true. If we can perhaps get a little philosophical here. Go ahead. If, if, if yeah. you, <laughs> <laughs> let's go. <laughs> let's go. <laughs> um, because philosophically speaking, only, only God is life itself and truth itself. Mm -hmm. That, he doesn't have life by participation. That is, he doesn't have life because of something else. No, right. He is a source of life. Right. right? Yeah. But yeah. he, but he, he, he isn't created. He doesn't have anything outside of him that he's added to himself. And same thing with truth. He doesn't mm -hmm. know truth or participate in truth. He is, is truth. truth. Yeah. So all things can basically anything that is worshipped or venerated, other than the, than 
and uh, God himself can be classified under as this dead mm. because everything has life, even angels, right? right. Have life by participation yeah. and not in itself. Right. So anything, anything less than God you could classify as idolatry. Right. And especially when it comes to worship. I think when, you know, there is a, a veneration um, or uh, I guess a adoration, we can say, of of uh, icons, let's say. Right. Um, we're doing that as a... Uh, that That's a kind of a mediator between God and man, right? Right. Uh, and so if there's any... Uh, a praise and and prayer that we give to things that are not explicitly God, um, we can understand that as implicitly God, right? Um, the saint, you know, we venerate the saints, uh, pray to the saints. Uh, there's, again, venerating of uh, images and icons. Uh, people could misclassify that as idolatry, but it's only in idolatry insofar as it's disconnected from God, right? But all those things right. are reminders of, like you said, the, the, like the one God who is truth itself, who is life itself, um, and so it, there's a there's a relation between those things and, and God that that has to be kept in order to preserve ourselves from idolatry. Um, that, that's a good qualification. I, I think back to our episode on uh, the uh, the serpent and the cross. That there was the the bronze serpent that delivered the Israelites, mm-hmm. and then later wisdom kind of qualifies that and says it was God working through. Right. But then later the the, sta- the staff was destroyed because it was worshipped itself. Mm-hmm. So it's not that icons, right, are powerful in and of themselves. Like that's, that we're, we're worshipping this image because it can bestow on us some power. Yeah. Even if it, you know, God is, is you know, we've talked, or as we've sometimes seen uh, miraculous things with statues, Sometimes, but it's not the statue, right? Right. It's the same thing with the serpent. It's it's God working through it. Yeah. So it was, yeah, you're, I think that's a really great point. Anything detached from God is idolatry. Yeah. But as long as that's it's a median, then right. it's totally different. Exactly. And as we'll see um, in the gospel, but this this same idea runs through loving your neighbor, right? It's yeah. you love your neighbor out of love for God, and so when it's detached from God, loving your neighbor as odd as it might sound, can be a form of idolatry. If that's your highest good and it's detached from love of God, then, you know, going back to our original question um, that we said before, like, what is the point, right? What is the point of caring for your neighbor? When our Lord says the poor will always be with you, is it just to end poverty, right? Is it to end hunger? Um, You know, those things might have some nobility in them, but if it's detached from the highest good, then it's all for nothing, really, mm-hmm. and and it can be a kind of idolatry. Um, yeah, so. right, right. I, yeah. I I had some similar thoughts on that, so we'll we'll get there um, very soon. Yes, but. one last thought I had on the second reading, um, following off the going off of this uh, theme of remembrance. Um, it seems that there's this chain of um, Christians uh, that uh, Paul is alluding to. You know, he says that you know what sort of people we were. And you became imitators of us, right? Mm-hmm. So that you may become a model for all believers. And so it's first Paul and the apostles who become models for the Thessalonians, who become models for um, the greater community. And by remembering those who came before you and you know how they um, were faithful, uh, it's, 
you carry on that faith. It's through remembrance and then carrying it out forward. And so that, that beautiful chain of, um, of Christianity um, that goes through, you know, people who are faithful to God and, and it, 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 it affects others. Uh, so I, I just noticed that interesting chain. There. Oh, yeah. I, I don't think I, I saw that, but that's, that's a good point. And I think it's, it's very helpful for kind of a, a contemporary read that to always remember the people who went before you. Yeah. And and who will follow after, right? right yeah. Right. We mentioned that we mentioned this in the the the, co- the podcast with with the gospel it was uh, many are called but few are chosen. Mm, yeah. So you know what does it mean to be called? What does it mean to be chosen? And uh, I said St. John Henry Newman said that we're not really sure, but we definitely know that the few are not the many. Yeah. And the few are probably the people who've gone before us, mm-hmm. you know, the saints, the apostles. So those are definitely the, the few. Those right? are definitely yeah, the part few. Of the few yeah. So if you if you want to suffer amidst affliction that St. Paul is talking about, Im- imitate those those right. people. Imitate the, the faithful who have gone before you. Mm-hmm. And then hopefully that will strengthen the body of believers. Right. Seeing your imitation will imitate those who you're also imitating. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Imitators yeah. of imitators. Yeah. <laughs> an image of, a, of an image. Ima- right. <laughs> an image of an image. It sounds very platonic, but... Oh, right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, also what, what St. Paul's, just to keep on the apocalyptic note, and I, I don't mean apocalyptic for our own time, by the way. I mean, m- no, maybe right. the Lord's time will come, but in the lectionary cycle, right. we're, we're, gen- we're, we're moving. Yeah, exactly. I yeah. don't want anyone to get the, the idea that I'm trying to... Doomsday over here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> darkness is coming. You know, <laughs> I mean, you know, maybe I don't know. I, I can't. <laughs> I, I'm not. I'm not claiming that. But, um, but this idea that the Lord will return, mm-hmm. right? That He, we, we're not sure when, but the ending of that first, re- or that, sorry, the ending of the second reading is saying that we we await, but while we're awaiting, we serve the true God. But he, but th- there is a, a second coming mm-hmm. that's on the horizon. So in order to, we kind of live in this intermediate state, right? Right. Where on one hand, you know, Christians can kind of enjoy uh, paradise now, right? Um, Saint John of the Cross and Saint Teresa of Avila would say that you know, interiorly you can enjoy heaven yeah. on earth already How, and, and not yet, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. well right. Yeah. Ex- exactly. Already and not yet, because the kingdom has come. But on the other hand, we do await the second coming. So you're yeah. kind of, again, the intermediate state of enjoying the first coming of Christ right. while waiting the second. The first fruits of those who believe. Is that how Paul puts it? Yes. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, going back to um, the liturgy, the Mass is where we, is that ultimate expression of already and not yet. Right. The Mass is an eschatological sign. We're all united in communion um, with um, Christ's thanksgiving to the Father. Uh, we're all made one, uh, and so that's an eschatological event. We're uh, like you said, the kingdom has come, um, but then we go out. The mass ended, right? There's a dismissal at the end um, to go live out that faith, so that we await the second coming, where that's fully realized. Um, so, good. Any anything else? Uh, no, we can move on to the gospel. Okay, let's. Yeah. I don't want to move on if you're not ready, but no, no. So. We come, we come to the gospel where we get the, the classic two, twofold precept of charity, mm-hmm. love of God and love of neighbor. So 
Christ is approached by the Pharisees, and a scholar of the law asks him, teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? And if he answers with the iconic, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great. This is the greatest in the first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. I wonder, what are your thoughts about like, what were the Pharisees trying to get out of Jesus by, it says like they, they tested him by yeah. asking what is the, yeah, teacher, what commandment is the law, in the law is the greatest. What's the catch here? Like, were they just testing his knowledge of the law? Because you remember like with um, last week, they were yes. testing him by saying like, you know, who should you pay a census tax and hoping to make a division between politics and, and you know, religion right. and Judaism. Um, but I don't, I don't get like exactly their, their um, plan here. So... The fathers of the church are kind of split on this because sometimes, from what I read, some fathers seem to think it was a like a a genuine testing, like they 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 or I should say what um, they were duplicitous or deceptive, okay. that they didn't actually want to know the answer, they were just sort of uh, trying to trying to catch him up to see if he really. Knew his stuff. Knew, yeah, exactly. Okay. Like, who is this Galilean teacher? Yeah. And then others seemed to take almost a little bit more charitable approach. That they were they were sort of curious. Like, all right, you're a great prophet. What do you, what do you say? Okay. You know, you, you know, people esteem you. What's what's your opinion? Mm-hmm. But you're right because I, I think if we take it that they were testing him to try to trip him up, maybe it was simply that. Just what do you think the greatest is? Yeah. You know, if if you're so wise. It sounds like a simple unless if, if unless if the Pharisees were already perceiving that Christ was something more than what was alluded to in the Old Testament right. insofar as like his divinity. So it's like so who are you? Like what is the greatest law? Uh will it reveal something about yourself, right? Um if you go yeah. against what the Old Testament would say. Yeah. What the old law would say. Um and then there's, yeah, I, I think there's another interpretation that you could have that this testing was for our benefit, right? Like because on the own, maybe they had bad intentions, but those bad intentions were turned into now we have the twofold precept of charity, right? Mm. Like that it ended up benef- benefiting future believers. Right, right, yeah. But, you know, you also have sort of the historical background that there were, you know, like 900 commandments, right? There were, they're yeah, all, they're, right. There were heavy teachings and there were these so-called light teachings, and there were so many. So they were like, all right, either what, what is he going to say? Which one is he going to choose? Then perhaps maybe then we can focus on that. Focus and, on that. Yeah, It'll right. be a wrong answer. Or he actually does, because I think there is some commentary, as I, I can get into, that does suggest that these two are, these two are the greatest commandments. Mm-hmm. But they didn't, they, I think they wanted to know if he knew that. Right, yeah. But, so. Yeah, that is an interesting question. It's like, why why test him on this? But yeah, um, so in these two great commandments, it's our, our Lord says explicitly that the second one is like the first. So you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, is the greatest in first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
I think on the face of it, uh, they can seem kind of disconnected. It's like, well, do I love God or my neighbor, right? <laughs> um, but as we've expounded upon um, earlier, a love of your neighbor ought to flow out from a love of God. And so this is the definition of charity, is love of God and love of other things and people for the sake of God, right? right. Uh, and so if you see God as that first um, that first principle, uh, then you love everything that comes from him. You know, the example that I like to give in, in um, uh, thinking about this um, gospel passage is that of an artist, right? Like if you love an artist, uh, you would also love the works that they produce. It doesn't make any sense to love the artist and, and like, you know, he has such an interesting technique and stuff, but then you hate all of his like pieces of art that he produces. That doesn't make any sense. Right. If you truly love the artist, then you're going to love his works as well. Everything that he does is going to be fascinating to you and you're going to care for it in a certain sense. You know, if we think of God as the great artist, capital A, uh, then we can love his creation, his art, uh, properly because it all comes from him. And so the poor and the needy, your neighbor, if you're loving it properly because you love God, um, then you're going to love it as yourself, right? There's going to be a care for it uh, because you see it as directly connected to its source. So, Right. Well, it's you love God and then you love the things he's stamped with his image. Yeah, as, exactly. As, yeah. Uh, as an artist. Yeah. You know, he's man is made in the image and likeness of God. Yep. And if you love God, then you'll love the image and likeness. Yeah. And even, even outside of man and your neighbor, I think there's also a... Implicitly, this is love of creation too. Um, in a in a lesser sense, all of creation bears a kind of image of God, right? Uh, and so, and seeing uh, seeing everything as coming from God's hand, uh, I think that will also fall under charity as well. If you love all all things, um, right. people and nature too, uh, coming from God. Um, well, yeah, you have uh, Saint Bonaventure's ascent to the mind of of God, right? You kind of begin on the low level of created things, mm-hmm. you know nature, the created world, and then perhaps kind of move up and you think of, you know, your own interiority, the mind, then angels, and then, you know, all the way up to God. So you're right, it's the whole of creation right. that is for for man. Yeah, exactly. Um, one other thought I had, uh, and this goes back to the first reading as well, um, loving your neighbor as yourself, and our Lord talking about Caring for the oppressed and the alien, uh, the orphan, uh, the you know the person who doesn't have a cloak. This I think takes on a new level of meaning and depth when we consider that God Himself became orphaned, right? Mm-hmm. And in the person of Christ, He is. We can consider Him an alien and oppressed. You know, He who was naked on the cross didn't have a cloak, right? <laughs> um, and so. When our Lord is commanding us to care for the poor, there's a sense, and in our neighbor, there's a sense that he's saying that in the poor and the needy is an image of me, specifically. And so, you know, to, to not only just consider your neighbor as coming from God, but actually God took on the image of your neighbor, right? Especially in the poor and the oppressed, where, where God became almost less, like he became man, but he became man in its um, most ugly state in a sense. Uh, you know, I think it, to see Christ in the ugliness of humanity um, is what we're called to do because he 
he assumed human nature at its worst. Um, and so your neighbor now doesn't just become a person that comes from God, but actually in a certain sense, in an allegorical sense, of course, is God, right? Um, yeah, I, I wanted to, to double check this, um, but the reading, the gospel reading for our, our last Sunday, the uh, Feast of Christ the King, is the, the sheep, sheep and the goats, mm, right? Yeah. And so in that, he says, what you did for me, or what you've done for the least of your brethren, you've done for me. Right. So right. you're right. The, the, the imprisoned, the, the naked, the hungry, mm-hmm. the alien, the oppressed, all these people— that that's Christ in those people. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of people have said that you know the the twofold precept is actually just still just one precept because in mm. loving God you love your neighbor. You know, you should love your neighbor, but in loving your neighbor, it's for the sake of God or in God. So it's actually love of God. Right. And so, um, but it's because they they bear this image again. Right. Even going back to what we talked about, like the humanitarian concern, it's not just this kind of abstract because they're human, but because they possess this dignity. Right, exactly. It's um, a good thought. And I also, you know, I've, I have to probably look at the Gospels a little more closely to make this claim, but I think this is true. <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong. Christ never commands something of his followers that he had not fulfilled in the first place. You know, when he says, pick up your cross and follow me, love your neighbor as yourself, these are all things that are not just empty commands from a ruler set apart from his people, but something that he himself did first. Um, When he loves and cares for the poor and picks up his cross to die for people, that gives credence to his commands. And so we're not following, again, we're not following this this ruler who is disconnected from humanity, is just arbitrarily saying you should do this and this and this. We're actually following someone who did this first, right? And so... You know, that, I think that just gives a certain weight to Christianity. It's like our, the, the person that we worship, that we love with all our heart and soul and mind, and who, you know, who, who is a source of everything that we love, he has done what we're doing first, right? And he shows us the way. So, Yeah, no, that's, that's true. Uh, as Letter to the Hebrews talks about, that Christ is the, the forerunner of our faith. So right, someone yeah, the who, forerunner. Yeah. Someone who... Yes. Um, in the Greek, cuts a path. He's a mm-hmm. he's a pathfinder or trailblazer. Yeah, 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 literally like a someone who goes before everyone, and then we kind of follow in the way. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you're right. Christ lays down these laws as someone that who also d- does these things, and not yeah. just lays it on his followers as something right. to do. And uh, it gives it just it, it makes Christianity very unique among other philosophies and religions, where we can say that not only did God become man, but He actually like descended into the lowest parts of humanity, suffered and died so that we can... Now, everything that we experience is somehow touched by his experience, right? That God actually knows experientially what we're going through uh, is is a radical claim, you know? And I think sometimes we're too comfortable with that idea. Like, oh yeah, God became man, like he died for us. It's like, no, he... he like the source of... Like to get philosophical, right? Like he who is being itself, <laughs> who the philosophers can only like, you know, glimpse at, became man and now experientially knows what it's like to die and suffer. Um, it, it gives life, all of life, um, a certain perspective now that is, um, you can't unsee it and it affects everything that, that we do. So. Right. Yeah. Uh, a few more thoughts. Uh, our, the translation we have, it says that the whole law and the prophets 
depend on these two commandments. But the Greek is something more like hangs. Okay. So the, so, hinges almost. Right. right. Yeah. So the idea is you have this kind of mass object that is being suspended by two ropes, you might think of. So you have the commandment, this log, the commandment, and the two ropes are love of God and love of neighbor that kind of hold it up. And I think that's a helpful image because if you lose any one of those, then the thing falls apart. Mm-hmm. So you need both of those commandments to fulfill the rest of the law. The rest of the law. Yeah, right. And because these these commandments come from uh, it's Deuteronomy and Leviticus, so they're not. Um, again, as you said, they're it's it's something that Christ is willing to fulfill, but it's also something that He fulfills from the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's not uh, an abstracted thing or something that um, that He just lays again lays upon His followers that mm-hmm. He Himself is unwilling to do. Um, but this idea of loving God with all your heart and all your soul, all your mind, uh, this is sort of like the totality of the person, right? I'm sure, you know, when you look up <laughs> medieval or, or church fathers' interpretation of this or commentary on this, they get all, you know, all wild. What is what is the soul? What is the mind? What is the, uh, sure, sure. What is what Very is the spirit? All neo-scholastic, right? <laughs> neo-scholastic. That's right. But I, I think they they try to make a connection between was it the world the flesh and the devil and then oh, okay. the, the, okay. the world or i'm sorry the heart the soul and the mind yeah so you have kind of the world and the heart you know detach your heart from, from false desires from and false, true yeah, desires exactly yeah. yeah you have the kind of the, the dichotomy of flesh and soul mm-hmm. uh to kind of purify your soul and, and make sure it's not ruled by the flesh kind of kind of thing and um I, I thought it was interesting. I think it was Augustine that connects uh, the devil and the mind together. That's like the mind should be occupied with the good, the true, and the beautiful. Okay. As a, you know, and God is all of all of those things. And the, and the devil would, I guess, he would influence your intellect in the sense of like you know trying to um, negotiate with you, right? And so there's a sense yeah. of intellectual battle with the devil, maybe. Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's true, right? Like interesting. The idea is. Uh, Perhaps to get your mind to be preoccupied with things that aren't God. Yeah, right. Which, on one hand, is natural. Like, there's many things to think about. Yeah. But I think it's the idea is that, yeah, the, the devil kind of lures you away. And and it, it goes back maybe even to, if we can shoehorn it in here, remembrance and forgetfulness. Mm. They're kind of in your mind, right? Right, to, right. To remember God. Yeah. And um, the devil makes you forget. I never yeah. heard that connection with the, the threefold temptations. Um, with the heart, soul, and mind, that's um, that's interesting. Well, you know the neo-scholastics they have. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> again, they 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 have all of it. Um, another, I think, I think this is actually a little bit. I wouldn't say it's ancient. It's probably pretty common. But the idea that the Ten Commandments, you know, you can break it up into the first three oh, involve God, God, and then right. then neighbor. Yeah. So. When Christ says it fulfills the law and the prophets, it fulfills love of God, fulfills that first half, yeah. and then love of neighbor fulfills that second half. Right, right. So yeah. if, if you do those two things, you fulfill all the Ten Commandments. Right. Because yeah. those who love God don't worship idols, and they you know they keep holy Sabbath, and those who love their neighbor don't murder or steal right, kind of thing. Right. So instead of, instead of uh, yeah. I guess... Then 
I think uh, I think instead of following like the way of of thou shalt not, it's now more of like thou shalt love, right? Right. right. Um, as opposed to like I said, the that's divine. a good point because that's and that's very um, Pauline, right? It's, right. Um, you've been free from the law, and now the the new the new law is love, right? Right. Um, so yeah, I think um, remembering that we're in the eschatological section, the discourse is ending. You know, we have what two two Sundays, three Sundays left. Thirtieth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, fitting that, fitting the the command to love God and neighbor, which will find its fulfillment in that last uh, gospel from Matthew on Christ the King Sunday. But that the final judgment will have to do with these two principles, right? They'll have to do with mm. how you love God and how you love neighbor. Yeah. That, that's how you'll be judged. And did you make an idol of your neighbor? Right. Or did you make an idol of, of things less than God? That, right. That'll be the thing that you're judged on. And, you know, it's the reason why we... That, that judgment is going to ultimately show did we place Christ as the ultimate goal of our lives. Is he king, right? right? That's the that's the language there. Is he yep. king of our lives? It's it's yes, it's Christ king of the universe. That's the the official solemnity, yep. right? Um but if we take that on a personal level, it's like the, the universe within you, <laughs> right? Is 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 yeah. he king in your life? And if he is, then you will have loved the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and mind and your great and your neighbor as yourself. So Yeah, I think that's a that's a great way to put it. The to also interiorize this Christ King is like is is Christ King within? Yeah. Right? Is he on the the throne of your heart, mind, and soul? Yeah. Or is it an idol that you've placed? You know, Saint Paul talks about our our bodies and souls as temples. It's like, well, who is who's the prime uh, deity in your temple? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's... right? No, exactly. And you know, to say Christ King of the Universe. Maybe this maybe should be saved for that weekend, but you know we can touch on it here. Uh, that's a very cosmological and objective reality. Um, but you know, on Earth as it is in heaven, right? <laughs> that's the idea is to make that reality alive within you. And if it is not, if if your if your soul is um, running perpendicular against the ordered objective law then it's going to lead to your misery. That's what we mean by being cast off with the goats, in a sense, right? Yeah, so. yeah. No, that's a that's a good preamble or a, a preface to... A, a good preface. A little, <laughs> a little sneak peek, right? right a little trailer. Right. <laughs> I, I, I do think uh, these these readings are, you know, I, this is one of the first times I think I've been really intentional about trying to see the connections here, but we really will see where, they, where they've all been going, yeah. especially these last few ones since we've begun that... Uh, like I said, apocalyptic or eschatological discourse, you'll yeah. really see that fulfillment that these teachings are all supposed to keep in mind what's coming at the end of your yeah, life. Right. Not just the end of the universe, but the end of your life. Right. You'll be asked about these commandments. Yeah. And, They're little breadcrumbs to the final the final day. <laughs> so. Yeah. No, for sure. Um, yeah. That, it, any any other? Those are all, yeah, those are my thoughts. Um, I am a, uh, I'm satisfied with, with our commentary. Good. So. <laughs> Good. Remember to love God first, love yourself second, and then love your neighbor. Because if you can't, apparently St. Augustine says if you can't love yourself, you really can't love your neighbor. Which oh, is kind yeah, of a right. modern psychology there. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. Interesting. But surprisingly enough, that's what he says. So, But love God. <laughs> but love God. Yeah. Love God first. <laughs> You'll be all right.
There it is. All right. Well, thank you for listening. And please, if you enjoy this podcast, like, subscribe, share, leave us a review, do all the things. And we will see you next week. Thank you.